Good afternoon, and thank you so much for being with us on this Friday afternoon. Depending on where you are, there might be some snowflakes falling, and as we've been hearing in the weather forecast, there is a chance that there will be more snow hitting the ground in Metro Vancouver. What we are hoping is that we don't see a repeat of this. Uh Uh-oh, stop. Watch out. Get out of of your car. In your car. Watch out. That was the crash that we told you about on Wednesday. Happened on Tuesday with vehicles on that climb at 168th Street in Surrey. Thankfully, there were no injuries reported, but there were many vehicles that were caught up in that. So what is being done to make sure that it doesn't happen again, that we are ready for any future snowfall? Joining us to talk more about this is Bell Beerman, president of Unifor Local 111, which is the union which represents bus drivers in Metro Vancouver. Balbir, thank you so much for taking some time with us today. Uh, good afternoon, Joe. Uh, thank you for having me. Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit or describe what it was like? We certainly saw the footage and we heard from drivers on the roads on Tuesday. What was it like for bus drivers? It was very bad, uh, uh, the sort of the day for us, for our brothers and sisters. And uh, I do want to uh, recognize, I want to thank you, each and every one, for their uh, very professional and exceptional job uh, during the storm day. Uh, Many members were stuck for up to like six, seven hours jail that day. And that's got to be, I mean, it would be stressful anyway, driving in the snow, but being stuck for that long and having to deal with passengers as well, that must have just been, I mean, just an awful, awful day. It was a very awful day, uh, and, you know, we feel for it, and, uh, you know, we're doing everything we can, so it, it does not repeat it. Uh, as we know, uh, we might get a storm tonight or tomorrow, so we are, uh, you know, we're preparing for that. Uh, do you know where the, the worst areas were? I know we just played a little bit of the sound of that crash on 168th in Surrey, uh, which involved one of the last vehicles was one of the smaller shuttle buses. But were there areas that are always kind of bad areas when it snows or where were the real trouble spots? Uh, like the the two municipalities, Vancouver, Surrey, uh, Surrey 96 Avenue, Squad Road Hill, uh, 144th Street, where 341, 342 travels. Uh, Vancouver, uh, Kingsway was really bad. Even the next day, the bus stops were not cleaned. Uh, our members had a very difficult time pulling in and out of the bus stops to pick up passengers. So, uh, you know, everybody was aware of this storm. Uh, Jill, uh, I don't know why, uh, you know, something went uh, sideways, even though they, they knew it was coming days before. Uh, yeah, and the reason given the next day uh, that uh, people uh, left work early and there was more traffic on the road sooner and that uh, the crews, the municipalities were caught off guard. Uh, I mean, a lot of people have been looking at looking at that reasoning or, or questioning that reasoning, uh, saying how, how could that have been the reason why uh, crews weren't out there? But, uh, but was it a lack then when you talk about even the next day, in some cases, the roads not being cleared at bus stops? Was that the main concern? Because I know there's also been a lot of talk and questions about buses, TransLink buses, and the fact that they don't have snow tires. Uh, we don't. We have mud and snow, and it's called like all season uh, tires. Uh, we also do have uh, uh, socks for the tires, uh, you know, especially the Hill routes uh, 145. The buses go to SFU. 
and and they had uh, they had like I think we're gonna have they're gonna have more crew now working just to make sure any of the hill areas if this problem arises again they have CNBC has assured us they'll make sure they put all the resources out and even communicating on our uh, we have a system in the buses uh, TMAC so they have assured us they will have make sure uh, they will keep putting messages out what to do. Uh, you know, and then the, the help out there. One of the member, or I think a couple of them, they've walked home. Uh, they were told to go home uh, from their buses. Uh, we have made sure moving forward uh, that there is a transit supervisor, road supervisor. They can go out and pick them up and uh, provide that help, uh, support out there. And uh, and and that was that was really really uh, like you know we know it was very concerning what happened that day. How long did they have to walk? So, so tr- bus drivers were told to leave the bus and uh, walk, make your own way home. Yes, uh, some of the areas, like you know, uh, in Vancouver, and I believe one in Richmond. I just found out today. I'm in Richmond Depot. About four or five kilometers, they had to walk home because the buses couldn't go anywhere. The, the traffic, everything was blocked. That's. And have you ever heard of that happening before? Uh, I've been around 27 years. We had a very bad storm uh, in 1996. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that was uh, that was bad, but I I seen like you know we had buses even parked back then too. Uh, but this is like it was we knew we knew it was coming. So I you know I'm calling out on you know the municipalities. Uh, they know our bus routes. Uh, they should be prioritized uh, because we have elderly customers who ride the buses. Uh, they want to go to shopping. They want to go, you know, to their appointments. Uh, we need to do more. Uh, you mentioned the bus socks, and I remember when those were brought out uh, as a, a pilot project or tried, uh, like you said, on the, the Burnaby Mountain route. Are those available to more buses then, or how many buses have those socks that they can put on the tires when it snows? Uh, there were calls made that day uh, to uh, that my bus is skidding and all that, and then the maintenance crew went out and put the socks out. Uh, they have enough supplies, we've been told. And uh, as I said, we are watching this very closely with the senior management, and we want to make sure this does not repeat it, and our members, members are not left alone out there with the extra support and help. They have assured us for that. Right, because uh, did that even work, though? Because if you were already in an area where you're a bus driver and your bus is skidding, and if you're calling then to get to maintenance, to get somebody to bring the tire socks out, I mean, we saw the main roads and the major routes. They were gridlock. I mean, were they even able to get out to get those bus socks, those tire socks to the buses? Uh, yes, on 145 route, uh, it was provided, but sometimes they couldn't get to them either because every, there was a gridlock everywhere. And uh, we want to make sure the, you know, cities, uh, salt, sand, and this new chemical they use now, uh, you know, they should be out there uh, even today uh, because we have another snowstorm coming. And I don't want to see this uh, repeat happening to my, for my members. Uh, I know, and again, getting back to the idea of snow tires, and I know TransLink has said that they don't have plans at this point to put snow tires on the buses, that it would be a very big cost and a big task to switch out all of those tires. Would you like to see snow tires, though, on at least some of the buses on those routes with the hills that are always problem hills when it snows? Uh, You know, the mud and snow, these all-season tires, they're as effective if uh, the roads are not cleaned up 
you know, there's not enough uh, sand or salt on the road, it doesn't matter what tire you have. Uh, it's it's going to, you're going to get stuck. You're going to get stuck. Right. So your your complaint or your um, concern then, the the main concern for you is the maintenance crews, the plows, so the, the, the tow truck drivers getting st- stalled or abandoned vehicles out of the ways, clearing those roads for the buses. That's correct. And also, uh, you know, uh, the safety of my members. And, uh, you know, if they're stuck and they have assured us moving forward, they're going to keep an eye on uh, what, what happens today, tomorrow. And I will be watching it very closely. Right, because, I mean, anybody, when we saw, I think the number was at least 60 vehicles that were abandoned just on the east-west connector on Tuesday. And that's people, I would assume some of those people ran out of gas, maybe, or their cars stalled and or they couldn't go anywhere and left. But, I mean, that's that's bad as well. But also for bus drivers, that's, uh, I mean, having to leave your bus and walk four or five kilometers home in a snowstorm uh, is not ideal, to say the least. No, 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 that's not ideal. It is not acceptable. And uh, I have... Uh, you know, uh, sort of CNBC assurance now that, you know, something like this, that it should be prevented. We need to be, we got to make sure, you know, if there's a taxi available or they should just wait in the bus until the help arrives. What do you say to customers, to bus riders, uh, when snow happens? And again, we may get some more on the ground uh, this evening throughout the afternoon. Is there anything customers can do uh, to make things easier, to make things smoother for drivers? Yes, you know, be patient. Uh, we're we're doing our very best. Uh, the conditions, uh, you know, you can't drive fast, uh, and they have to. They should be like a little bit more courteous, patience, and we're we're doing our my my members are doing very best they can uh, to provide service, and and uh, you know, uh, if they should call out their city councilors, election just happened now. The mayors, they should call up on on all of those. Uh, that they need to put the funding out uh, for the, this kind of storms. All right, uh, Balbir, we'll leave it there for today. But thank you so much for joining us. And I hope if there is snow this afternoon or at any point uh, throughout the winter that things aren't uh, as bad as they were on Tuesday. But thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Jill. My pleasure. Thank you. Well, if you've ever seen a mouse in your house or seen evidence of that, you know how off-putting that can be. Many people are afraid of rodents and just don't like them around. Well, our next guest is usually here talking about technology, and technology does play a role in this story, but it is a very personal story about his battle with an intruder of the mouse kind. Andy Barrar, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, my pleasure, Jill. <laughs> I saw you posted this video on uh, social media on your Facebook page, and I thought we need to talk to Andy about this because I think a lot of people maybe have have been in your position, but how you tackled this was very, very interesting. So take us back to the beginning. How did this all start? So I noticed that I, I usually keep a loaf of bread um, right beside my toaster on my kitchen counter, and I noticed one day that there was a little hole in the back, and I thought maybe I did it. Then I had a second loaf and there was a hole in the back. And then after the third, I was like, something is up, (laughs) right? But I didn't see any mouse poo. So I was like, something's going on here. And I'm like, it's either a ghost or a mouse. But I didn't know, Jill, that mice can climb walls. So I went on Google one day and I just went down this rabbit hole watching all these mice climb vertical walls. So I thought, okay, it's probably a mouse, but how am I going to catch it? And then, of course, being the tech guy, I had an epiphany. I'm like... (laughs) 
I need to get a smart indoor camera. Now, I don't have one. I have smart outdoor cameras, Jill, but I never had a need for one inside the house, but now I did. So I got one from Amazon. It's called the Blink Mini. It's this tiny, tiny camera. Black Friday only cost about $38. And so I set it up right beside this loaf of bread, armed the camera, and then I went to bed. The next morning I was drinking my coffee and I noticed on my smartphone that I had all these like video notifications. And sure enough, I'm watching this mouse just nibbling on my bread. And it was a cute little mouse, but it was on after that. It was war. I had to find a way. How is this mouse getting into my house? And sure enough, I was able to use that camera to find the mouse hole as well. Okay, I'm watching the video right now as you describe it. And you're right, it is a cute little mouse if you're not disgusted or or fearful of mice. But he's a bold little mouse as well. He's just made himself right at home. Yeah, he's very, very comfortable. I don't know how long this has been going on for, Jill. It was just that I noticed it. And and it was such a puzzle. And sure enough, once I got that camera and I armed it, and I got it really close, so I got a nice, good look at this mouse. It's like a close-up shot. And then I had to basically run around my house trying to figure out where this hole is. And I suspected it was underneath my kitchen cabinets. So I armed the the camera and the camera has night vision. It has motion detection. So it's pitch black underneath these kitchen countertops. And sure enough, I can see this mouse scooting around. Mm -hmm. So each day, Jill, this was like a week or almost two weeks of a battle. I'm moving the camera around, slowly trying to figure out where is this mouse coming from. I'm using that insulation foam, but it's Mm -hmm. to no avail. And then finally, I was like, I think it's coming underneath my dishwasher. It's always coming around that area. So I pulled my dishwasher and sure enough, there's this huge goal where a uh, huge hole where the electricity comes in, the, the cable to go into the dishwasher. And that was my fault. I did this kitchen rental. So back five <laughs> years ago when I did it, I, I cut this huge little slot that's big enough for a mouse to come through. So it was all my fault, but I fixed the problem, but I would have never been able to do it, Jill, without that smart indoor security camera. So for anybody out there who is dealing with mice, this is the, the, the best gadget, and it's, and it's relatively affordable. The problem is these companies want you to get a subscription after about 30 days. So for $38, I'm like, I got 30 days to find this mouse before I have to get onto a video subscription plan. But sure enough, it only took a couple of days, and I was able to find it. I'm and I'm I'm listening to every word, but like I said, I'm also watching the video, and it's it's. Uh, I love the fact that there's video of you as well under there looking for this mouse. But even the video you have of the mouse underneath, because it's it's kind of like you said, you see the hole in the bread bag, and you think, where is this mouse coming from? If you, there's no other sign of it, but this mouse is just running around your kitchen and picking stuff up under the dishwasher. He's just having a heck of a time. Yeah. And so if anybody wants to watch this, they can go to my website, handyandymedia.com. Go to the blog section. I posted a video uh, on YouTube, on my YouTube channel. But this mouse, what was interesting about the camera, Jill, that I didn't realize was when the camera detects the motion, it makes a small little click and that startles the mouse. So Mm. it just boots the other way, like so fast. Like this is one of the quickest mouse, like this rivalry was like wild coyote versus, uh, you know, the uh, roadrunner rivalry for the last week and a half. But I have a smart home. I use smart gadgets to find it. And I'll tell you, when I posted on YouTube, I wanted to find some music and 
YouTube's really that that music algorithm is really good at detecting when you use uh, unauthorized copyright music. Mm-hmm. But I went and Googled Looney Tunes mouse and found these old mouse cartoons and I used that music in the video. So I bypassed the YouTube algorithm. So <laughs> I got two wins, Jill, <laughs> out of this mouse story. I'm always happy when I can, you know, break these algorithms that these companies have put up. Oh, for sure. Now, I I have to ask as well, was it because of the cuteness of the mouse and he kind of looks like a Disney mouse that you didn't go the route of putting out a trap? Yeah, because you have to understand, I didn't even know if I had a mouse, but (laughs) as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, he's kind of cute. I can't really, you know, a lot of people on social media were like, you should have trapped it. If you have one mouse, you have more mice. But, you know, I I didn't want to trap it. It was kind of cute, you know, because I got to see up and up close and eating my bread. Um, but you became yeah, friends. I, I still, I had to get rid of it though. Yes. I had to get rid of it and, and I couldn't sleep. I couldn't work. It was consuming me for about a week. And, uh, thankfully I was able to do it. In fact, Chris Galis over at global news said that there's an epic mouse problem in the studio there. Mm-hmm. And I told them, you know what? I, I am a mouse detective. There no mouse that can outsmart me now. So I offered my services if he wanted to. to, You you might want to double think that, though. Uh, From having worked in that studio, it's uh, there's a lot. You might need more than one camera or to steal a line from Jaws. We're going to need a bigger camera for that problem because there are a lot of mice uh, over there in that building. Um, Andy, I'm curious. I know you've learned a lot about mice while doing this as well. Are you sure you got the right the the hole that the mouse was getting into? Because I also um, had this problem a while ago and I found out that mice, their little bodies, they look bigger, but they can get in some teeny, teeny, tiny holes that you might never think is big enough for a mouse. So are you sure you got the right, you've been able to kind of make a fortress in your kitchen and this mouse isn't getting back in? That's a great question, Jill. What I did is I made like this mouse platter dessert, like, you know, (laughs) that they could smell everywhere, right? Because now I'm feeling pretty confident. So I set that up on the kitchen counter and everywhere around, like on the ground. And I had the camera and after a couple of days, it still didn't come back. And if it didn't come back for that dessert, I'm pretty sure that uh, I've been able to solve the problem. But I kind of still hear them in the walls. So Mm. uh, I'll just have to live with that. As long as they don't get into my kitchen and and into my house, my home, I think I'll, I'll be okay. Now, did you use the steel wool trick as well? Because I understand if you plug the holes with steel wool, their little bodies, they can't get through that. Yeah. So it was an interesting video because first it was catching a mouse and then it was how to fill a hole. <laughs> so what I did is um, I used steel wool to fill in the gap. And then I used that insulating foam on top of it. And the thing about this insulation foam is that you only get one t- one time use in this can. So I kind of just went like overboard with it and then I cut it flat. So I'm feeling pretty confident that that mouse is not going to chew through that steel wool. And if it does, it's just like Alcatraz. Then it has to get through all of that uh, insulating foam. So I think uh, that hole should be plugged. And like I said, I've, I've been setting up traps around like of desserts <laughs> and the camera and because I got 30 days. So I've been you know, moving it around to try to lure mice in, but it doesn't seem that they can get in anymore. Right. And what, and what happens though, then if the, um, if this happens again after the 30 day trial period? Oh, I already checked. It's five ninety nine per month. So I don't think I'll get an annual plan, but I could get a month to month plan. Like I said, like, you know, these indoor cameras, some people use them to check in on their pets uh, remotely because they have audio. So you can have two, you can actually talk to your pets uh, if you wanted to. But I didn't have any pets until this mouse came into my life. <laughs> so, so that's when I decided, you know what? And it's funny, these companies don't even market that as a kind of a great tool to catch mice. 
but they should. So I even wrote a review for Best Buy Canada about this camera now so that to lure people that it's a good tool if you do want to catch a mice or you suspect that you might have a mouse in your house. All right. Uh, they might not market it that way yet, but I think after seeing your video, they may change how they're marketing those tiny cameras. I think so. Um, but you got to be careful with these cameras because uh, they try to get you into that subscription. Some of them, the the, the cheaper ones, uh, they don't, but they have kind of security concerns because you got to remember, this is an indoor camera. Mm -hmm. You don't really know what cloud storage that's going to unless it's a reputable brand like Amazon, which I think you could trust. All right. That's good advice. And I'm so glad that this worked out for, for both you and for the mouse. Andy, thank you so much for joining us and for talking about this. Thanks, Jill. Well, there is a motion coming to the Vancouver Park Board on Monday. It is. It reads that the Vancouver Board of Parks and Recreation directs staff to immediately restore the pre-COVID traffic and parking configuration on Stanley Park Drive in time for the upcoming December 2022 peak holiday season. And then it also says that it will direct staff to reframe and otherwise repurpose the current mobility study toward a comprehensive strategy as a planning tool that can deliver new permanent dedicated cycling infrastructure in the park and then with a number of considerations including those with disabilities seniors families tourist access and equitable access for all recreation and cultural users well it certainly is a divisive issue when we look at what's happening in the park and we know there have been lawsuits as well. Joining us to talk about this latest development once again is Wally Opal who in this case is the lawyer representing Stanley Park's Prospect Point Bar and Grill. Great to have you back on the show. Always good to be with you Jill. Uh, so as, the rep as a representative for that restaurant uh, what are your thoughts on the fact that this well, is coming to the park board? Well we're very pleased Jill because the last two and a half to three years has been a nightmare where the uh, park board has done things uh, without consulting with us. The first thing that they did was they ran a uh, bike lane through the parking lot of the of the restaurant that obviously uh, uh, hurt the business of the restaurant. And since then, the park has been a, a uh, has been chaotic. There are cones and barriers and all of that stuff. So that 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 impedes the progress of people going in there it prevents people from going in there uh, the people with disabilities people who are going to use the park people who are using the businesses in the park are all deterred from going in there because of some of the policies of the past board we've tried to meet with the board in order to work with them and we understand uh that their challenges but we never really got anywhere with them so this is very encouraging because it means that uh, the public will have a right to visit the park uh, and there won't be the same impediments that have been there now for two and a half, three years. So. And what does this do then as far as any legal challenges? I know in the past uh, the court uh, di didn't hear that challenge of the bike lane brought forward by two of the businesses in the park. But what does this do, do you think, as far as if this is approved, which it appears that it probably will be because the board is uh, ABC Vancouver uh, has the majority on it. So what does that mean for any potential uh, future legal action? Well, we're not anxious to uh, litigate this matter. We'd, we'd rather sit down with the people and work it out 
so it's satisfactory not only for the businesses, our client, but also for the people who want to use the park. As mentioned, the uh, people with disabilities who are now in ex- who, who now find the park to be inaccessible to them, with the bike lanes uh, being the predominant feature in the park. No, we're not uh, interested in pursuing legal action. We uh, just want to work with them, and this sounds very encouraging. And if this goes through, I can't see. Uh, any uh, litigation going forward because uh, the park will have been open to all users and that's really what we wanted. What has it been like for the restaurants during this time or has it been able to stay open? No, uh, Nancy Stebbard, who's a uh, well-known business person, uh, is the owner of the uh, Prospect Point Bar and Restaurant and it's been closed for a year. Uh, The only aspect their part of it's open is the ice cream stand but the rest of it's open because no one is going in coming into the park there's no parking uh there are cones all over the place and other barriers and so people are not coming in there so so our clients have been losing money uh they've had to close the restaurant because of the lack of access for members of the public so this seems to be very encouraging and uh so we're in favor of the motion uh, as we have heard about it. So, yeah. And do, are there any concerns then, or uh, it sounds like as far as the other part of this motion, which is to, to come up with some way to make uh, it, to reframe it, to repurpose uh, the study and, and make it so it is accessible for everybody. Uh, are there ways, do you think, that there could be uh, potentially a uh, dedicated bike lane through that area that would work for cyclists and also work for the businesses? Absolutely, Jill. I mean, that park has been there for a 100 years and everybody's had access to it. Our clients are not opposed to bike lanes. We simply want easy access to everybody, including our clients. That's the the problem that's been here is that when uh, they put the, the bike lanes in there, it was an impediment for people to go in there and to use the park. And it has been said, for many, many years that Stanley Park is the crown jewel of the, of the city of Vancouver. But it wasn't that way because so many people could not get near the park because of the bike lanes, uh, the way they're featured. And mostly, it was all done without any kind of meaningful consultation. Right. And done as a COVID-19 measure in the beginning. It seems like it was such a long time ago. It wasn't that long ago when it was done to kind of give people more space and, and to move to be able to, to get people to move around more in the park. Um, yeah. Yeah, we understand that. We understand that some accommodations had to be made for COVID. And uh, so we understood all of that. But at the same time, uh, it was our view that the park board, as it was constituted, went to extremes. And in so doing, they excluded a lot of people from going into the park, and they hurt the businesses in the park, and that's what was particularly disturbing to our clients. Uh, there are uh, certain cyclists and cycling groups uh, that are concerned about this and saying that they're concerned that it will make it more dangerous for cyclists, especially through the next few months, if this does go back as far as still using the park, but when it's darker earlier and, and such. What are your thoughts on the, the cyclists that are lobbying and would like to see it stay the way it is? Well, well, I have confidence in the park board that whatever they do, they'll do so with consultation. And they'll ensure that those issues that have been raised by the cyclists 
are addressed. Now, that's a legitimate complaint. No one wants to to uh, to put the cyclists in harm's way. No one wants to see them harmed. And uh, I would like to think that the park board, uh, having decided on this course of action, would be cognizant of of those concerns. And so, so we have a lot of confidence in the present park board, and and we're confident they'll do the right thing. And I know you said that you're not interested in your clients, not interested in more legal action or litigation. But like you said, though, with the restaurant being closed for more than a year, uh, is your client looking for financial compensation for this? Well, we've seriously considered that. There's no question about it because we've lo- our client has lost a lot of money. And uh, and I'm sure that Brent Davies' client, the, uh, the or his restaurant, the uh, the beach uh, the beach restaurant, uh, that restaurant has lost customers. So so the businesses have suffered, and it was based on that that uh, we were uh, commencing and did in fact commence legal action. But in any event, that's all in abeyance, and we're hoping that uh, some kind of meaningful compromise can be reached, and we can all live with that. All right. Wally Opal, we will leave that there for today. Thank you, though, as always, for coming back on the show. Always nice to be with you, Joe. It is Friday afternoon, just after 2.30, and that means it is time to once again check in with Richard Wallach, who is the editor and publisher at VancouverFoodster.com, also the host of the Van Foodster podcast. Richard, thanks so much for being here again. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, Jill. Well, great to chat with you. I know we're going to talk about some international cuisines today. Just before we do that, though, I had to mention to you, I your recommendations last time you were here, I went to one of them, the, um, what's it called again, Mount Pleasant uh, Vintage and Provisions. Uh, yes, yes. It was amazing. It was okay. so great. Uh, great to hear that. Yes, and it was packed, and everybody was having a great time. So uh, a very, a very fun restaurant. Let's get to what we're talking about today, though. Some great international cuisines at some local restaurants. Yeah, so all of these restaurants I picked today are um, ones that only have like one or two of this type of food in Vancouver. So like, first one is Colombian. So it's a restaurant called Union Latino. It's on uh, Granville Street downtown. It opened up during the pandemic. I think it was about uh, six or eight months ago. It opened up. And it's Colombian food, and it's traditional, like what you'd find when you travel to Colombia. They're covering all the different regions of Colombia. All, almost all their staff is also from Colombia, including the chefs. So they've done a really good job, and it's just great to see something different. Like we, we have so many Mexican restaurants now and that kind of thing, but it's, it's interesting that there's only one Colombian restaurant actually in Vancouver. I've tried a lot of their different dishes there. I've got some favorites. Um, one of them is called Pachuta uh, asada. It's actually a grilled chicken breast, like a thin grilled chicken breast with rice, salad, and fried plantain. You're going to find fried plantain with a lot of their different dishes because that is part of uh, Colombian culture. They've got arepas. They're all different with different fillings. I've tried one of the mixed ones and the cheese one. That's always really good. And uh, they've got empanadas and all that kind of stuff as well. And they also have a dessert, which was interesting, this dessert. It's called um, uh, Brazo de Rina. And it's actually, they call it Queen's Arm in English. And it's kind of like a, it's got Dolce de Leche on the inside. It's got this kind of a pink, pink on the outside, a round thing. But when you actually, if you're from Bogota, so this one server told me um, that if you're from Bogota, they call it Liberal. That's like what their pastry is in that city, in that region. 
but um, it's known here as the Queen's Arm, and nobody knows why. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of interesting. And then another spot is called Saba Foods, and this is Yemen food. They're the only Yemen restaurant in Vancouver. Uh, so that's another one of these kind of like interesting, interesting things. How the owners had the owner had moved to Canada, moved to Vancouver uh, from uh, Yemen. So you've got Yemeni food. He's on Main Street. It's at uh, a uh, five five zero, sorry, five zero nine Main Street, right in the heart of Chinatown, which is also interesting on how they ended up in Chinatown. And there's a whole story that goes along with that one. Uh, but you know, Yemeni food—it's not something I had ever had before, and I just recently experienced it. And it's all about meat. So if you're a vegan, vegetarian, this is not your spot. But um, if you love meat, this is your spot. And I've tried a lot of different things there. That their the lentil soup was really good. Um, their roast lamb, they make two different kinds of roast lamb. It was great. And the chicken as well. Um, there's something called fool. And a lot of people had messaged me about this when they saw me eat this. And it's actually a fava bean stew. Really hearty, really good. And that's kind of got good, some good fiber to go along with all the different meats. Uh, they have a new dish called a halal triple uh, A Angus steak. And that's done with baked potato and asparagus. That's probably more looks like what we would, the kind of food we would normally have here. But it's it's very good. All their meats are halal, and they're open for they're open like kind of all day, every day. They're available for catering, um, and they're doing a lot of that apparently since, since the pandemic. They've been doing a lot of catering, and then they have all these desserts. So baklava, all made in house, all really good. Uh, different kinds of kanafa, the cheese kanafa and a cream kanafa. And they also found out that they are actually wholesaling to a lot of other restaurants around the city that are looking for these types of baked goods. So um, apparently, you might see it in other restaurant menus. So I thought that was also an interesting kind of restaurant. And then um, there was this uh, spot called, um, it's called, called Ofer's Kitchen. And I go there quite often. It's actually Israeli cuisine. They're on Denman Street. And um, they're vegan and vegetarian. So you're not going to find meat in this restaurant. It's going to be um, all vegan and uh, or vegetarian. And uh, it's, just, it's kind of like really good, healthy food. I've tried a lot of different items there. The Israeli salad, baba ganoush, all the salads are phenomenal. The healing soup is really good, especially this time of year. Um, their hummus, their falafel, always really good. And then the stuffed eggplant platter, and they and they change this kind of throughout the year, throughout the season. That that dish kind of changes, but it's always been really good. And then um, they make this dessert called malabi cream, also really good. And, you know, a lot of um, film crews are going there. So I've heard that a lot of actors around the city that – you know, they kind of jump into different restaurants. They're all going there because they all want healthy food. So that's a great spot. You can find them at 1088 Denman Street in the West End. And then uh, a spot I went out to recently called Cayenne Bistro and Grill. It's out in Burnaby, kind of on the Burnaby newest border. And they have East African food. And that's something you also don't find much around here. Um, the owners told me that they actually kind of do an Indian fusion with their East African because that's where their roots are. Uh, but they opened up right before the pandemic, where most of these other restaurants opened during the pandemic, but they actually opened up a few months before the pandemic, and they survived it. They learned a lot <laughs> throughout the pandemic, and that's how they survived. But I only tried a few different dishes there, but the Serena Prawns appetizer was very good. It was done with a curry and their own garlic naan. And then um, they have something called Zanzibar Kukupaka. Now, in Indian restaurants, Kukupaka is completely different. So it's got the same name. Yet it's a completely different dish, but it's a coconut um, milk-based curry and uh, had egg in it. It also had grilled chicken and potatoes, so that was really good. So that's a great spot. Um, they're right out on 6th Street, so it's 7677 6th Street in Burnaby. 
Mm-hmm. And then um, Zirak by Afghan Kitchen. I don't know if you've, have you been to this one, uh, Jill? It's, it's right on Main Street at Fifth Avenue. It's actually very close to Mount Pleasant uh, Vintage. And this is the second restaurant by this group. Um, so they had opened up during the pandemic. It's at uh, 2102 Main Street, and it's Afghan food. So they actually own another restaurant out in Surrey called Afghan Kitchen, which people may have heard of, because that's been around for five years. But as far as the city goes, they're one of few restaurants that specialize in Afghan cuisine. I've had a lot of different things here, but the Balani flatbread, always really good, filled with potato and house spices. Afghan chips was kind of a fun one. It goes really well with their cocktails. Their, their current cauliflower dish, very good, done with black tea pickled raisins, romesco, mm. and duca spice. It was a very interesting dish, but it's very good. The spicy chicken with gravy is not that spicy, so not to worry about the name there. But it was, it was also really good. The lamb kebab is also great. And then they've got this dessert there called, um, I can't actually never get it right. I always spell it wrong. But it's a sheer yak, and it's actually kind of made in-house. The mother uh, makes this. So she makes this every day. It's like a rose water ice cream with pistachio and cream. Really good. And it's available all the time. And then dumplings and stuff. So that's a great one to go. If you, and I'm sure a lot of people have already been there because it's been very popular since they opened. But that's a great spot to go for for dinner or for brunch on the weekend. And then another spot is uh, Moroccan. So that's another one you don't find much of. Like there's really only one uh, restaurant in the city. Actually, two. And the same guy owns it. So uh, Moltaka Moroccan restaurant opened in Yale Town about a year plus ago. And uh, so right in the heart of the pandemic, he also owns one in Gastown. And I've had everything there. And I really think the, the flambe dishes, like everything that's done interactive table side is always a hit because they just light the rack of lamb on fire with cognac and people love it. It's a great Instagram moment, but it's always delicious. And the tagines are always very good. They have belly dancing on the weekends, Friday, Saturday night belly dancing so people people who go specifically book for that so they can enjoy a show while they're eating dinner but their pastillas are very good all of them seafood vegetable chicken and um they're also all the meats halal so people to know that that's really important for some people uh the cardamom duck tagine is actually my favorite it's with figs pear and sesame that's very good um i really like that and uh so that's a great spot especially if you're you, you want something at night in Yelltown. And they're like right on um, Mainland Street at 1002 Mainland Street. And then um, there's a Trinidadian restaurant. So that's another one. Like Caribbean food you don't find too much of around here. But a Trinidadian restaurant opened up during the pandemic. It's called um, Baby Doll Rody Shop. It's right on Commercial Drive at uh, 2707 Commercial Drive. And they're specializing in uh, curry. So you find the curry chicken with potatoes is very good. My friends told me the goat curry is very good so that's one to know about and they do something called bus up shut roadie i had no idea what that was i was like what's this crazy name but actually it's a popular uh, type of roadie in trinidad it's flaky it's delicious it's really good they're only they're open like wednesday to sunday night so that's something to keep in mind um if you're looking for something um kind of a more exotic and you're not traveling that way right now this is a pretty good spot to go and then um there's a Syrian food uh, spot on in Granville downtown called Arabesque Cafe and Bakery. Um, this is another one. There's a few Syrian restaurants around the city now, but uh, they opened up uh, within the past year during the pandemic at uh, 1039 Granville Street. And they're more like everything's done in-house, first of all. So you've got a mixture of meats. You've got different things like that. You've got falafel. So their falafel is very different than Ofra's. It's a Syrian-style falafel. is very different than Israeli falafel. 
same name but different. Uh, kibbeh, and they have um, Arabesque Fry. You know, they've got very different things. They've got wraps and that kind of thing, skewers. It was all very good. And then they make, um, they have baking as well. So they have baklava and a bunch of different sweets that they make in-house. And they told me that they're actually wholesaling to many of the donair shops around the city. Where the donair shops want a dessert, but they don't actually make it in-house, they're getting it from these guys. So, you know, people, you try different things around the city, and you have no idea where it's actually being made. And then you discover that some of these actually restaurants are enterprising enough that they're now wholesaling to these other restaurants. Well, they all sound so good. And what a, a great way to try out the different international foods and, and perhaps foods that people haven't really tried before. Yeah, no, exactly. And we, you know, we have, if you go around, you go around the world and you, you travel these countries, you're going to find, of course, you're going to find many restaurants. But it's just, you know, it happens here. We've got immigration coming in, but we have immigration from a lot, you know, from some places from a lot of, a lot of different uh, people are coming from like Mexico or, you know, or Asia, that kind of thing. But here you've got some cultures and some the reasons there aren't a lot of people here yet. They're coming and then slowly people are opening more restaurants. Well, they uh, all sound absolutely great. Richard, as usual, thank you so much for bringing these to our attention and have a great weekend. Thank you. You as well.